welcome to episode 26 of the Talentopoly podcast. We're going to be talking about JS Widgets libraries today, and I'm your host, Jared Brown. I'm joined by Brandon Corbin, and today we have special guest Edward Rudd, a longtime developer. Before we get into Ed's background, a little bit about him, what are you guys drinking tonight? <laughs> Brandon, what are you drinking? I am now, because I just finished up, it's the Dreaming Tree. And it's a 2000 blah, 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 blah from somewhere in California. Um, Why do you and it was, blah, 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 blah? Like on a cheaper wine, you just not care at all? With no, 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 no. Because I don't give a shit about any of it anyway. Um, it's just the same alcoholic content regardless. Ex- yeah, exactly. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's not important. Um, it's whether it's a good wine or not. And now I am pouring in this plastic copa that I found at this, the neighborhood CVS. I shouldn't pour this over my computer. And um, and I'm going to have I'm going to drink that. And it's probably going to be awful. But look at that. It's a plastic cup and you open it like um, God, you open it kind of like a tiny can of peanut butter. Uh, but it's and you peel the aluminum foil off the top and here I'll I'll, I'll give you a live test. Ugh. Oh, that's is that a delicious noise? Ugh, no, no, tell. yeah, that was bad. Um, <laughs> but but that's okay, right? Because again, it was like I don't know two ninety nine something, and and it filled up a whole glass and, and it's it comes portable. In a cup. It comes in a cup. How classy! Nothing more you don't use it exactly. That is and awesome. It's for us cheap people who don't care for hops. <laughs> so, uh, Ed, what are you drinking oh, tonight? Oh, God. What fine beverage do you have tonight, Ed? I have some very fine Brita-filtered tap water. Mmm, delicious. That sounds <laughs> great. And it's a 2000 blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's a, a five minutes ago. <laughs> and, and what are you drinking Today. I have thanks for asking, Brandon. I have You're welcome. a Belgian style golden ale called Prankster. And my friend who's super into beers, so I did a beer run with him last Friday, and we go into Khan's, a local uh liquor store here that has a great selection of beer. If you're in the Annapolis area, go check them out. And we uh I, I go in there and I'm like, all right, and Nate is my friend's name. So I'm like, Nate, what type of Belgian beer would you recommend? I don't want you know, Belgian beers can get pretty expensive. Like I want something around eight or nine bucks for a six pack that's going to taste like a really great Belgian, and he recommended Prankster, and, and it knocked my socks off. Like this is a great Belgian beer, so I've been pretty happy with this six pack so far. Awesome. Yeah, good endorsement there that we're not there being go. paid for. But if you uh, if you want to send beer, shirts, yes, send send shirts that nobody will see on our audio only podcast. Shh. <laughs> Don't tell them that. <laughs> so before we got started here, Brandon, you were. Uh, talking about one password and how it's changing yes, your life. Tell us about has. that. Very rarely do I find a piece of software that's like, oh God, I finally right. Um, and one password is if you're a, if you're a Mac person uh, and you're familiar with the keychain, it's what the keychain really should have been, um, and it's always available to you. You have a master password that you set, and as you're browsing, and there's bo- uh, uh, browser extensions for all the different browsers, uh, and as you log in, it's like, do you want to remember this? Yes. Do you want to remember this? Yes. And and, and it allows you to have one click access to instantly log in. But it also makes it really easy to have extremely long, complex uh, passwords that you don't even need to remember because I can just click my button. If it's been a while, I have to put in my master password. I click Facebook. Boom, I'm into Facebook. And now Facebook has a 28-character you know, nonsense as my password. And it generates and, that? 
Yes. Well, yeah. And it, it's got a password generator on it. Um, but it, it's amazing. It's, it's great. I love it. I'm, I'm, and now it's like 69 bucks if you want to buy five and I'm going to buy five, uh, for everybody in the family. Um, because it just makes so much sense. And instead of having one password or two passwords or three passwords they use for everything, make them complicated And this. And it's a, on the iPhone, they have an Android app. Um, they have it for windows, Linux. I mean, it's, it, they've done a killer job. How does and someone it work on the iPhone? Uh, so on iPhone, it marklet it, or something. No. So what it, you do is basically uh, you can sync to Dropbox, and I think they have another a couple other places that you could sync to. So you still are in control of the, the all of the encrypted data, um, and so it syncs across the board. So I can just go, and they have a built-in web browser to make it easier. But I did. I had to go and reset my iPhone, but I just went into One Password's iPhone app, clicked copy the password, then went back to Facebook and put my password in, and boom, I'm good to go. So you have to go out to it to copy it then? Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I, how often do I log into Facebook on your app, you know? But on the iPhone, you can also just do the click, and it'll just take you right to the mobile version of the site. Uh, so, yeah, but it's it's killer. I mean, it, someone someone I bet someone will buy them and integrate all of this stuff because it's killer. And the, the interface is great. The whole user experience is awesome. And it's like now I, I just want it everywhere, um, and I feel significantly better. Have you had problems in the past with uh, hacked accounts or anything? Why do you need a 28-character password? Um, no, I haven't yet. But I'm not, you know, I, the way I see it is that all this shit is getting, you know, I just don't want it have the opportunity for it to happen. So now I'm just trying to be smart about what I'm doing from a security side. With all the weird shit that's going on with the government and all that stuff anyway, I'm just like, it's time to shore some everything up. <laughs> Which uh, we were talking earlier as well about you setting up your own mail server, which I think will be a great topic for a future podcast. Yes. And I I guess that kind of goes along with the same thinking, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, with Google and what they're doing with everything, you know, I'm like, I I just don't want – I just don't like that, you know, my daughter's able to send emails back and forth and that they're really – you know, that they're not ours, Um, and, and so that just, that kind of stuff is really kind of concerning me. And if I want to raise kids who are conscious about all this stuff, I figure the only way I'm going to do it is by showing them. And so, you know, it's all part of the journey. Hey, we got to pick a new domain name. You know, we, and so trying to get them involved too. Excellent. All right. I'm excited to, uh, ask you a few questions here, Ed. I'll start off with, uh, you've, you're a longtime developer, right? Yep. How long have you been developing? I started when I was eight years old on a Trash 80 Model 100 portable computer. Nice. Yes. Story, actually, the basic ROM in that thing was copyrighted by Microsoft in 1983. So I unfortunately started with a Microsoft basic language. But I've been programming ever since then, which now that I'm 33, it's like almost 25 years of programming. And I'm one of those that's the true hacker. So... I basically love programming and don't do it cleverly, and so I'm just always programming something. What what, what got you into it at eight? My dad gave me the Trash 80. Okay. My brother said, here's the manual for it. Read chapters 8 and 13. <laughs> and that's the only advice I got on how to learn why how to program. Why only 8 and 13? I don't know why those two chapters. <laughs> was, your, was your brother a programmer too? Uh, yes, he is. He's okay. four years older than me, and he is just about as you know, engrossed programmer as I am. Oh, is he the better programmer or are you? Uh, he's always the one asking me for advice, so I'm kind of wondering. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good non-answer. 
Um, uh, sorry, <laughs> I was sitting here. So no, so it was basic. But uh, so I and you, you're eight years old doing basic. What year is that? You want to you think remember. about that? I don't know, eighty six. Because no, my, and I had a, I had a similar thing where my dad sat me down and he taught me basic. You know, at a fairly young age, and I used it to do uh, the create your own adventure stories nice. <laughs> they, they were awful so what was, i mean like what oh and uh you know and have the computer or the commodore 64 that we played on my friends have it say dirty words to us because it did was able to speak the text but what kind of stuff were you doing um i wrote a screensaver for the trash 80 that would have a password to unlock it that would be randomly generated from a fixed seed so it was still fixed um you know racing games slot machine games um I actually had a thermal printer that actually had the manual for me. Back when they actually had the real manual that had all the print codes, how to make it do things. So I wrote things that would actually print graphics and other stuff on the printers. And whatever I felt like writing. <laughs> all right. No, now I've got, I've got the ultimate geek question for you. What, um, what was that first program that you saw that it just clicked? It was just like, oh, shit, this is what I want to do. Uh I don't know if I ever really had that. Just, I just love to program, and so I, I was always doing it. Yeah, but there was I, something on there was something on the computer that you saw. I right? there, this is before you could stuff. code, right? Well, yeah, but but was like you never saw a computer before you sat down and started coding. Well, no, no. Just, uh, that, see, that's what I, I want to get. I want to get before then, you know. And tr- what, like, because for me, it was my grandpa wrote a uh, horse racing game that you would bet, and it would randomly pick, and you'd watch these things go across the screen, and one get, oh, he's ahead, oh, now he's behind, and it was, it just blew my mind, just fucking blew <laughs> my brilliant. mind. And and I'm just like, oh my god! And to this day, I still wonder how did he pull that off with the limited resources he had, right? So I think that was my motivator, where I was like, I knew that's what mine was. I I don't know if I ever had that kind of motivator because my dad was as a programmer, and he he'd been programming for for eons, and he taught classes, and so I already had that around the house, mm-hmm. and so and then I just. When I got that trash, I was like, "Ooh, I can write stuff for myself." And so, therefore, when I approached new problems, like, "What's out there sucks," I'm going to write my own, and yeah. and that's what I do. Or I find an open source project and say, "I'm going to make it better," and I do that. <clears throat> yeah, you do a lot of commits to open source projects, right? Uh, yes, yes. I what do. are some of the most notable, uh, I guess, commits that you can think of, or at least projects that you know you've done commits on? <laughs> I got to pull up my resume to see the list of them. Because there's about thirty or forty projects I listed in my resume that I've contributed to, including you know pieces of GNOME and Evolution there, and jQuery, and just all over the place across the board. I've I've dibbled, dabbled here and there, and fixing things and tweaking things, and just as I used the products and ran across the bugs, I fixed it, and then contributed back again. And you. And- Nowadays, you're working uh, for the Indie Humble Bundle, right? Yes, the Humble Bundle. The what? Have you not heard of this, Brandon? No. Okay. Humble Humble Bundle Bundle. started two years ago as a – basically, five game developers were trying to get together to see if they could try this idea for – just to see what work. And the idea was, let's take five of our games, you know, one game per developer, stick them in a bundle, and – Put it as a name your own price. And we'll mix in two charities in there too. So you can pay whatever you want for these five games 
retailed about 80 bucks, and or these two charities, and you can divide, well, how much goes to the charity, how much goes to the game developers. And, and they are older games, but still a lot of fun to play. And, of course, now they're getting newer games now. But, I mean, that first bundle lasted a week, and in one week, they pulled in one and a quarter million dollars. And, you and made because your own they price. reached a million dollars, four out of the five games went open source. So, and, and one of your games is in there? Uh, the one of the games that I ported was in there because one of the uh, I was doing game porting at the time for a company in Sweden called Frictional Games, and I ported their game called Penumbra Overture, and that was one of the games in the bundle. Okay, and and so did you get then a cut of that one point two five million? I got a decent cut, a good cut, not a huge cut. It was like you know twelve or fourteen k I got out of that yeah. first bundle. Because I got a per, the percentage of their cut based on the Mac and Linux sales, which was about forty five percent was Mac and Linux sales. Really? Yes. That's cool. So the other the thing that's come out of the bundle is like, well, if you want to almost double your income for your game, make a Mac and Linux port. Yeah. And so every future past bundle past that, which there's been about almost eight of them, every game must be ported to Mac, Windows, and Linux. So and you do a lot of those ports now for them, right? Yeah, so they, they have filled Ryan Gordon's pipeline completely full doing game ports, and so they now saw it after me, and now they're filling mine up completely. And Ryan Gordon is a well-known uh, Linux game He's a game very porter, well-known right? game porter. He's one of the ones that was working for Loki back in the day when it was around, doing Linux game ports. Very and so this, uh, real, before we go on, the, the name your own price, what, do, you, do you know what the average uh, price was that people put in? They published that. The average for the first bundle, I think it was around six bucks, and usually it's around five to six or seven bucks is what the average ends up being. And what's interesting is they divide it by platform as well. So at the last bundle, I think the average was like about almost six dollars. And then they split it up, and the average for Windows users was just over five bucks. The Mac users were like seven, and the Linux users were like eight or nine dollars. <laughs> That's awesome. And every single bundle has had the same proportion approximate portion of, of who's putting in the money in and the same average you know distribution for the average purchases. So Linux users are always at the top, the Mac users are always in the middle, and the Windows users are always at the bottom. And they do publish the, the current average price, and then they offer you like an extra game or some incentive to, while the Humble Bundle's going on, that one. That, yeah, <laughs> that's what I do to increase the average prices. Right. If you pay more than the average, then you get the incentive. Ooh, really excellent. smart gaming on all of that. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into our topic. I'm excited to discuss this. So we're going to be talking about JS widget libraries for desktop and mobile. And I thought a good place to start here would be some of the questions that developers might have when they're going to start evaluating the various options and, and you know, what things are important based on whether you're looking for a, a desktop and a mob, or a mobile library. And we're going to break those both those uh, different, because those are really different uh, types of apps, whether you're developing for desktop, maybe desktop slash iPad, depending, or, or just a mobile mobile only experience. So we'll talk those about those a little bit separately. But let's just, uh, as a group here, we talk about some of the things that we think people might be looking for as requirements and ways that, you know, what are some of the things that you want out of a library? What do you, what do you think, Ed, is something that you really would look for when you're looking for a library like this for, let's say, desktop? 
when I'm looking for a widget library, like I'm looking for something that's very clean, very easy to use, so I don't have to be able to figure out and look at the thing. Well, how the heck do I interact with that widget? Uh, so something that's very obvious how to use them, very clean looking, easy to use for programming, well maintained, and I like things that are fast. Stuff that sit there and suck up huge amounts of CPU just to do a grid are really annoying, and I usually avoid them. <laughs> Absolutely. Documentation is one thing I would add to that. Good documentation yes, is valuable. I go with whatever's popular. That's, that's not a bad way to do it. Usually the popular one. Or? No, I, I am actually. Um, I, I do all of them, or I'll, I'll play with all of them. Um, and then I'll find out whichever one is seeming there that my gut tells me is going to be the, the next big one. And I'll sit and I'll spend my time with that one. And it's purely because we know that these damn things that we write, which we're all involved with right now, but will last for 10 years, that really the popular one's going to be the one that's going to be the least expensive to maintain going forward. Right. And it's probably popular for good reasons. No, not often. Usually it's not. I mean, like, you know, I mean, prototype is is more is probably a better language. There is a better uh, framework than jQuery. Um, but the fact was, is that it really, you know, they managed to pull off good marketing and and good getting people to really build plugins for it, that it just forced it to become number one. Interesting. That's just that's my opinion. Anyway, no, that's that's great. So for desktop. When would you want to look at these types of JS widget libs? I put together some quick thoughts I had on when you would want to use this. And for me, it seemed to boil down to internet software, enterprise, engineering, and scientific web apps. Are there other times you think you would employ these widget libraries? Like, would you do this for a consumer-facing uh, modern web app? Do you think you would start looking at one of these things? I would. I mean, it, it's gotten to the point in later years of my development that I'm like, I just don't have the time to mess around with fighting with stupid IE anymore. So I want to find a widget library where someone's done that work for me. That's a great point. <laughs> and that's why all my own stuff, some of their contract jobs, I'm like, I've been switching things off of my home Brune stuff over to jQuery and jQuery UE because I'm just fed up with doing it, my, doing all that work again over and over again. Now I'll write my own new stuff and contribute it back to the project, but you know, then I then they're maintaining it. So. Exactly. Well, on the mobile side, it's in researching this, and this was new to me actually. Was this uh, this differentiation between libraries of progressive libraries versus the native, really the native type of libraries that are going for that native look and feel? So that's something we'll be talking about here a lot more. Is uh, whether it's a pro- if it's progressive library means that it can degrade gracefully on older mobile browsers. This is something in the mobile space. So uh, much more of just this is going to uh, make that button more tap friendly, look better. You're gonna get you know you're gonna get that much better experience on a modern WebKit or Firefox browser on the web on the mobile web. But if you have an older device. It's still going to work. It's just going to look a lot more like a traditional web mobile website. And then the okay. native the native side of things, when you're doing the native apps, what I found here is that you're really typically going all in. You're making a from scratch application for mobile devices, and you are coming from a web background, so you're not going to do iOS, Objective C. You're not doing Java with Android. 
you're instead going to use one of these libraries that's really native uh, look and feel, and you're probably going to wrap it in something like PhoneGap to compile it down to yeah. a native app. Why don't we ever talk about Titanium Accelerator? That's it's yeah. It just didn't make it onto the. Uh, it didn't make it onto the, the Jared. The Jared Brown. It wasn't posted in Telenopoly. So. Well, and part of that <laughs> just and here's and I I considered it. Here was my thinking behind it was that I I'm not I'm trying to not limit what we're talking about during this episode to things that are purely meant to be compiled down to native apps. Yeah. My understanding of Titanium is that that is the only way to go. You're not creating something that you would load up in Safari on your iPhone. You what? are. Okay, and it kind of depends exactly. on what you're building um, because it's all JavaScript. And so it, it's actually a really pretty amazing platform. I mean, I built a fairly complex iPhone and Android app um, that you know relied on the camera, that relied on uh, you know different kinds of conversions of images and all of this. And it, and it really did a pretty amazing job. Nice. And yeah. so it, if you did not want to compile it down to a native app, so yeah, you then you're fucked. <laughs> well, you in, really in my it. case, because you, we, we still don't have access to the damn camera through uh, HTML5 yet. Well, no, but it, what if you don't need that? What if you're just creating yeah, let's then say you a Talentopoly mobile app wouldn't need that? Would, yeah, I still, you, would that still be something I'd want to look at? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of, yeah, if you need to make a decision between mobile or not, like, or native and not, then, I mean, a lot of it could be reused. I mean, because it does. It just takes JavaScript and it compiles it all down and does some black magic that I don't understand. Um, that, yeah, I think, I mean, it, it very well could be. But, again, it's more of you take your JavaScript and then you compile it through their right. system. So you could just... You can't just load it up in Safari and it doesn't just pull in the JS libs and just work, right? I mean, you yeah, can yeah, 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 it yeah. down. Yeah. So that that is the reason why I didn't put it in in here. What we're talking about is sure if you want to wrap it in phone gap or you want to wrap it in something great. But what we're talking about in this topic are just things that could purely work in mobile browser. Oh, okay. Now, while you're at it, sure, you could like, you know, you can make a native app if you so choose. But this is really also to be able to just do mobile apps. Maybe you want to just use HTML5. You know, some of the features in there for offline storage and, you know, you don't want to distribute it through an app store and you just want to stay within the browser. These are the libraries we're going to be talking about. You know what? Though? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's, so let's talk about the desktop side of things. So a larger screen first and some of the libraries here uh, that you would look at. Some of the more popular ones are jQuery UE, uh, Kendo UE. How... How would you pronounce this one, Ed? The I, I call it Widgmo. Widgmo. Okay. <laughs> widget. A, more widgets. Widgmo. It's a terrible name, but it works. And it, then it, extension JS or extended JS. What is that? I, I, EXTJS is what I've always called EXTJS it. by Sencha. <laughs> so let's uh, start at the top of the list here. jQuery UE. I assume that we're all familiar with that. Have you messed with this, Brandon? Oh, yeah. I, I, I hate it. You hate it. Oh, I hate it. Why do you wow. hate this? Um, I, I hate it because um, it's. I, I think it's. It requires too much syntax for a lot of the things that you could have been. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not a huge fan of most of these uh, UI libraries, and it's it, it's made it. That's just my you know my my designer coming out though that that it it, it makes it so people take a lot of shortcuts. 
And then what you have is a really not well thought out interface just because, oh, hey, hey, I've got tabs. So let's put everything in tabs, right? So they, it's still, it makes it look like, oh, hey, they might know, oh, they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it kind of like, oh, hey, oh. Um, So that's been my experience with most of the big applications that I've interacted with where companies are really good in the development side, but they just, they decided, you know what, we don't need to, we don't need someone who knows about user experience. So let's just let our developers go with, you know, this. UI library, and now all of a sudden, you know, all these developers are making websites. They're like, "Damn, this looks good," but it still lacks completely on the overall user experience. Well, and what if, what if you need to do a modal box or a date picker, those sort of things? Uh, now, hey, this is and don't keep in mind this is coming from a guy who's now preaching Zurb and and Twitter Bootstrap um, that you know they've got their modal and and I use them, um, but. Most of the time, I would try to find one that was specific to what I was trying to achieve, right? Was a modal the thing that was needed? Okay, if it is, then that's fine. I'll go and use, you know, if I'm using Zurb, then I'll use theirs. But if I'm not, then I'll go find one that's small enough that meets the requirements that I want. Because a lot of times you have these jQuery UI libraries that are 130K, right? Um, you know, that, that no, I, I kind of would like to cherry pick it. But that's because I want to focus on that experience opposed to actually having to build all the back end stuff. Well, something that I consider when I'm looking at these uh, desktop ones or even the mobile ones is the fact that a lot of people have traveled to websites that have pulled in jQuery UE from Google's code CDN. Yeah. So they probably already have it cached. Yeah, it's a great way to it's a great way to justify it. If, yeah, by all means, I, sure. I say it to myself while I use it. Doesn't even matter. Yeah. And and, and so that's... if I want that modal box, I could just use I believe Dialog. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Ed, but I believe that's just in jQuery UE. Yep. So I can just use dialogue, which has nice features like it could be dragged around and whatever. And yeah. basically the size is zero because it's already cached on their browser. Uh, yes. And if it's cached on their browser, absolutely. And if it's not, then that person just sat and loaded 140K for your fucking modal because you didn't want to take the time to actually go find one that really fits with what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And with me, I use jQuery a lot, but I don't use just the modal. I use a lot more of the features and functionality of the thing because I like the theme engine. The theme engine they got from what I've seen is like the cleanest one I've seen. And, and you know, other applications I've built, I, it doesn't look like a jQuery UE website because we've overridden the theme where we needed to and make some we need. So I'm using a large set of the widgets or building my own custom widgets because they're in the programming side, their widget framework for how you build widgets is actually pretty nice and easy to get going and build widget containers. And that's the reason why you should use it. Yeah, and that's absolutely why you should use it. Now, if you sit and you say, look, the framework that we can build the hell out of, I mean, then it makes all the sense in the world, right? So, yeah, my argument's more – so, yeah, we're, we're – I, I absolutely – if you guys are using it for that type of stuff, then, fuck, it's perfect. Yeah, I, I'm a, I have to say I'm a fan of it. I do like it. There does seem to be a lot of re- – almost like renewed developer momentum behind it now looking at the mailing list and the roadmap there's some there's some fresh excitement uh there and they are working pretty hard on it and i'm really excited about the grid widget that's gonna it right now it's slated for version 2.1 and uh for the internet some of these internet apps that i work on for various clients there are times when i need a powerful grid widget and i've I've been really hungry for one to be built into jquery ue directly because yeah. there are so yeah. few good ones. There's there's the data tables plugin for jQuery, and that's the one we currently use. But there are there's a lack of good free grid libraries uh, out there on the web for for web apps. 
Uh, and really? I'm, look, I'm looking here at jQuery, uh, and you can build for jQuery U. You can you can build your download as well, which is nice when I like mm-hmm. when libraries let you do this. Yeah, yeah, that is one nice thing with jQuery U is you can customize to say, well, I only need this one piece and nothing else. So therefore, you can strip it down to be as minimal as possible. Yes, which solves your little you know 150k download problem too. Yeah, so. <laughs> but it, it you know and the um, yeah yeah never mind. Now, one thing I'm noticing is in their roadmap, they're trying to work on cleaning up some of the API things they've collected over the years because it started out as, well, here's a lot of cool widgets around the world. Let's put them all into one package. And now they're trying to unify it together to make it a very clean, consistent API and widget library. So during the next two releases up to the 2.0 release, they're working on cleaning up things like the dialogue API and refactoring that to be cleaner. And I, deprecating things. So I've always felt like uh, it, jQuery UE to me <coughs> doesn't seem to have added a lot of widgets in the past couple of years, the last few years. No, the, the widgets yeah. they have is still lacking compared to a commercial library. They don't. Yeah. They have accordion, uh, autocomplete, a button, a date picker, a dialog, progress bar, slider, and taps. They don't have a toggle button. No. Nope. Well, there, there's a lot of stuff in there labs piece where in the way where people are developing all sorts of that extra stuff but they're not in the core yet <laughs> so yes but the, and the fact that their date picker lacks time is really annoying yes that is a big problem <laughs> the date the the whole date picker in the in the entire internet is fucked right <laughs> i mean there no one has come up with a very easy to implement date picker and it blows me away because again i'm not gonna you know i've been who i am i know i could go and just get the the jquery ui uh date calendar even just a calendar just a fucking calendar date picker well that's um, what it, that's what it is yeah uh but so they and so they don't have time and there's what you guys are saying right i haven't used it in two years party library that actually huh. extends the jquery date picker to add time picking with onto sliders it. <laughs> With okay, sliders, so, which is horrible. Here's it's the deal. the best I've seen, unfortunately. Yeah. Ed, you do the coding, and I will come up with a great interface to make a date picker and a fucking time picker, and we're going to sell it for $5.99. How is it going to work? Do you have any? I will, I will split it 80-20 between both of you guys. How does it work? I don't know. I, I, need to, I need to spend time, and we need to come up with the way that it will actually well, work. Like, So you said the date picker in general is just totally fucked. It's fucked. I want, I want a how, single line of JavaScript right. that I can include on my website. Oh, that's what you mean. On the, not on the UE side, but on no, the on, and, and on the UE side, too. Most of them are garbage. Um, I, we'll steal it from somebody, a desktop company that's got it right. We're going to steal it exactly, and we're going to implement it perfectly, perfectly, to the pixel, perfect. And we will sell it for $5.99, and these guys can just include it on – these designers can include it on their – through a single line of JavaScript, and they put the name of the, the input, and boom, black magic. Huh? It's not a bad idea. It's not too bad. So what – Let's see, Kendo Yui. Let's talk about that for a minute. Kendo Yui came onto the scene about mid last year. This has gotten a lot of excitement behind it. It's by a company named Telerik. They've been around for a while. Looks like they're a .NET shop. They've been making tools that basically <coughs> are the foundation for Kendo Yui on the .NET side. 
and they wanted to really formalize that as a commercially available jQuery powered uh, widget library. And it looks like it's off to a really great start. What excites me about it is that the uh, their Kendo UE library, they have three different ones. They have the Kendo UE, they have the data viz, and they have the mobile library. And the Kendo UE library uh, supposedly works. The same widget will work uh, for a mouse on a desktop computer, and it will have touch compatibility if you were viewing it on, say, an iPad. So that seemed really attractive to me. Yes, one thing that jQuery UE is definitely missing is the the touch support on the iPad. Right. And this is sexy. Holy crap! I I haven't checked these guys out for a while. Right. We we yeah. reviewed this very minimally way back on a much yeah. podcast. Oh, it's beautiful. They are recently out of beta. It is free for open source projects. So if your project is open source, go ahead and use this freely. Otherwise, it is $399 per developer, which is steep enough to there we go. give some that, that's why. Costs. That's why I didn't do anything with it. Yep. Well, and while they were in beta, they had a very restrictive license as well. Yeah. You really Assholes. Yeah. Uh, Kendo, quit being assholes. Sell it for 99 bucks, and just you'll make a shitload of money. I would buy it for 100 bucks. Just give me the code, 100 bucks. You guys make a shitload of money. Quit being greedy. Ridiculous. Yeah, per developer, <laughs> that, that that kind of licensing scheme is always. Confusing. No, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna continue clicking through here. You guys, it's beautiful. Well done. <laughs> Congratulations. Fucking awesome. Love it. But three hundred and ninety nine bucks, or what, what was it for developer? Yeah, three ninety nine yeah. per developer. Ridiculous. That, that is ridiculous, and that's what turned me off on the thing too. I was like, yeah, I just can't justify spending that much money when there's so many other ones that are cheaper or free. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go through so I'll go through some pain for 399. I mean, it's exactly. what it comes down to. I'll I'll deal with some bullshit for 399 bucks. It might not seem like a much to you, but it is to all of us, and that's who you need to convince. Especially when you have a lot of developers on your team. That can get Jesus. pricey quick. That is ridiculous. Yeah, I, that's the problem. I, the price I don't have a huge concern with. I think it is probably a little bit high, but the per developer thing is onious to me. And I I would wonder how many people are very honestly paying per developer for a license like that. It's very, I mean, it's impossible to enforce, and it makes it extremely expensive for medium to large sized businesses. I mean, a large sized business, sure, they have the money to pay for it, but that medium sized business, they're not going to pay thousands of dollars no. for this. No. And well, so here's what's stupid too is that they so here you can have the open source if you're going to do an open source project, right? right? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Say so you can have the code and you can have a license and make your license based on buying the damn thing for 99 bucks. You're going to make a shitload more money and just say let me do whatever I want with it uh, besides selling it as like another UI framework. Uh, for 99 bucks, I will give my money to you right now. For three ninety nine, and then offering you know me a from a corporate side a that's not helpful an open source version that only can be used on other open source stuff. <laughs> that's what I think, Kendo. You can kiss my ass. Their their date picker, by the way, looks very sexy. Yeah, it's a beautiful. I mean, it's or but you're an overpriced whore. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 like it it very much feels like using .NET background for them. It's like yeah, it very feels like a, a Microsoft style licensing scheme. Yeah. That is a good point. That might... ding 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 ding. You sir win. Yes, that may have something to do with that price point. 
Because in the .NET world, I'll bet that is not an uncommon or huge price point at yeah, all. They, they get treated that all. way when they buy stuff, so they feel like they can pass it down the pipe with stuff they create. Yes. And they are Microsoft's clearly, ISV pipeline. <laughs> they are clearly putting a lot of time into this. On, yes. Just to offer a counterpoint there is that for that $399 per developer, I do believe you can use this across any project you want. I mean, there's no project number of project limitation to that. Once once you pay $400, especially if you're a freelancer, <laughs> you can use that completely royalty-free from now on. So that is cool. And still I, too much. I think it yeah. comes with support you, okay. as well. Uh, I, it's still too much. Yeah, it's still too much. Gotcha. <laughs> Fine, offer me a $99 and don't give me support. Yeah, I don't need your support. I need I need Google. <laughs> That's Somebody, it. I believe, let's see, was it Sencha Touch that follows a model like that? Yeah, Sentia Touch does that, where they have one price without support and one with, and I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah, K- Kendo could probably do well offering the split pricing but like that. Sentia also does the per developer licensing fee as well. So fantastic. <sighs> Anyways, so let, let's spend a little bit more time on this and dive into a little bit more of what they're doing with Kendo Yui here, because I think there's there are a couple of more interesting points to be made about if the price isn't. Uh, too terrible for somebody and they are looking into it some stuff to consider is that you do get data viz along with the kendo yui right now as part of that price that that right there that was like ooh, that looks really nice and the price got me but that the charts and graphs because when you're building business applications the people at the top they love their graphs and charts i don't know why but they do yes yeah, we get, we're coming back to the internet and enterprise stuff, and they do. And and again, for engineering and scientific, I mean, that type of stuff is, you know, we do, Ed and I have a couple of projects we work on together in that realm, and we've looked at Kendo, and we've looked at some of these other things, because we do need stuff like this. And the fact is that we are working on enterprise solutions, so, you know, there is money there, and I don't fault these people for charging a decent amount for what they're providing, it's just... You know, I, the data viz stuff, especially being hardware accelerated, that caught my attention. I thought that, you know, that is something that this looks like it runs really fast. And throughout all of their libraries, they say they focus on speed as one of their top priorities. So Which supposedly is, very yeah. fast. Which that's my thing. If I'm doing consulting stuff and they want to pay for the licensing, then fine, I'll use it. But I'm right. not going to pay for it. <laughs> right. That was exactly how I thought about it, too. So... Let's see. We had a couple of more notes here. The theme builder. Do you want to touch on the theme builder, Ed? Because you seem to think that was pretty cool. Well, it was noting that, you know, because I was when I'm comparing with the ones we're going later, is they do have a theme builder, but it's, you know, this their own custom thing. It looks like they've only added in very recently. And you yeah. don't really get to it from the main page. You get to it from a blog entry. So <laughs> they haven't actually finished it yet. Well, they have. <laughs> they listed it on... Uh, let's see, under web, they do list Theme Builder Slug at the bottom there. So they do mention it on the uh, okay, on that yeah, product tab. It's hidden. It's not right in your face like it is on the jQuery UE website where it's right at the top, Theme Builder. Yep. And jQuery that, UE uses Theme Roller, right? Is that yeah. jQuery's? Well, the, the Theme Builder and then the Theme Roller, yeah, depending on where you, yes. I guess Which people interchange. Theme, theme Roller is great for jQuery. Oh, it is awesome. And this one, it works pretty decently. I mean, it just looks like you can pick it and they you pick up the theme builder and you know it's it's styled like the jQuery UE theme roller yep. interface. 
but it's you know just for their widgets. So yep, it's it's pretty pretty nice there. So yeah. it's just not as doesn't have as many options as the jQuery one. Not that this is probably a big deal anymore, but I thought it was worth noting that Kendo UE does not support IE6. Well, oh, Jake, oh. Jake. And, and we need to applaud them for that. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Uh, if they would drop IE7, we can applaud them more, but <laughs> that probably won't happen anytime soon. <laughs> if you're working on some crusty old dust covered internet app that is for a corporation that still uses IE6, jQuery UE does support IE6. <laughs> Yes, so. barely, yes. But I, I agree. I applaud them for not wasting time on that or bloating the uh, libraries supporting that. It solves so many headaches if you just drop IE6. If you can drop IE7, it solves some more. <laughs> All right, so along with the touch events, the let's see, the, the other thing that I really liked about what they were doing, you, you get the data viz as well, but I like their grid widget, and that's something that, that we look at a lot for various projects. Their grid widget did seem pretty clean for the implementation. There wasn't a whole lot of hoops you have to jump through to make a table gridable. And the features, there's still a couple of things I would like to see feature-wise. Like, uh, But they are adding stuff very quickly. They now have hierarchy within their grids. So that's pretty cool. You can expand a row and then see basically a grid within a grid. They Grids. Do have, yeah. They have in-place editing now. They have a toolbar template. Of course, they're sorting. I don't see a search within the table, but they do have a lot of the things you usually would look for in a grid widget. So if that's something you really do need, that that price could, I mean, the grid widget alone, if you're desperate for a good grid, grid widget, that could be worth it at that point. So. Grids. Grids. Grids are the grids are for the are the lazy man's solution. I hate grids. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, I most of the grids I see they're like just they contrast so much with the rest of this nice website, and then you got this hideous grid that's a throwback to Windows three one one. It really it's is like, <laughs> ridiculous. I wonder. I I don't think this grid is touch enabled. But I did not try it on my iPad to see what this demo looks like on an iPad. But I would be really curious to see if this works on an iPad or not. As probably. Far as it might. The pagination buttons probably get a little bit bigger, I guess, because those click areas are pretty small. But that would be something worth checking out. Let's move huh. on to, to Widgmo, the Widgmo library, which is also based – this is based on jQuery UI or – no, you, this is actually based on jQuery UE. How is that? Can you explain that a little bit more? <clears throat> well, okay, because basically the core of jQuery UE is the widget. It's the actual, it's a base class that all does is a base class that ever, all their widgets are descended from to kickstart the whole widget management process of managing the element that you're in and writing all your methods. You're building a little class inside of that. As opposed oh. to the plugin framework in straight jQuery is very. You get one entry point, and that's it, and there's no management or anything else. Right. So they're actually basing off the jQuery UE stuff and using the jQuery UE theme engine. So they don't have to make their own theme builder. They're just using jQuery UEs. Now, they actually sell some premium themes that they've made on top of that, but and they're, it's all based on the jQuery UE thing, meaning 
you, why recreate that when it's already there? There hovers. So that's, I saw that. And I was like, that's nice. Their their hovers their hovers are driving me crazy on their dialogue box. They have all these <laughs> fucking buttons on the upper type, and you roll over them. They change sizes and they wobble. <laughs> that is obnoxious. Okay. Where is this? Uh, if you if you check out their dialogue box, the uh, the your your action buttons in the title, you know your clothes or they've got you know five or six of them here to show what all ones you can have. As you roll over them. The uh, padding is different between the on hover and oh, the. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's like, bleh, 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 bleh. Oh, that's bad. Cancel. Bye. <laughs> Click. Some of the guys developing this at Widgmo are actually on the jQuery UE team, on the core team. So they're very, uh, very symbiotic with jQuery UE, it looks like. Yeah. And they're doing some good stuff. I mean,. Well, that's the other thing is that this is a premium layer on top of jQuery UE. But over time, jQuery UE seems like it will be the free open source version that should be like a Kendo and be as feature complete as a Widgmo. It just well, also will take Widgmo, a lot longer. And also Widgmo has an open source 18 widgets they have that are free open source. Which ones are those? I don't know. At one point, I saw a list somewhere, but they, when you go to download, they have 18 widgets that are in the open source version of it. Not like a, oh, it's open source if you're using open source, but open source isn't like the rest of jQuery. So These websites are like mazes. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yes, they are. I, like, I don't even remember how I got to certain places. <laughs> that would be my first yeah. recommendation is just simplify your websites. They got to show all their widgets. <laughs> Fucking widgets. Give me a break. You don't need widgets. Well, let's mention some of these widgets here for people that are listening that Widgmo is offering. They have your accordion. They have some yeah. data viz stuff here. Your bar and column charts, bubble chart. They have the calendar. What's different about the calendar than if I were just to use the jQuery UE calendar? Well, that's a calendar calendar, not a date picker oh that's that's a full calendar and they also have a separate one that's an event calendar that's like it's ugly (laughs) well then modify the theme with jquery theme roller no they've got too much too many dom elements going on there that's one of the things i was looking for widget libraries is uh, how dom heavy are they with you know elements yeah well speed is the linear gauge. Now that's an interesting UE widget. Yeah. It actually looks like an old fashioned speedometer. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Don't and it looks like most of their is. open source ones are the enhanced versions of the core ones that are in jQuery UE anyway. They have a tree one. Yes. They have a tree. Always valuable. If it's <laughs> done well, it's valuable. If it's done poorly, it's not. Exactly. All right, so there's the free version we mentioned. They have CDN access. Yes. That's pretty cool. So they're running their, like, what CDN is that? Is that their own? Um, I didn't actually look where it was resolved to, but it could be their own or it could have been resolved to the one that backs jQuery maybe. I don't know. Interesting. I just saw they listed, here's a CDN to do it on, and I didn't look any further. What do you mean backs jQuery? Because I've always just used the code.google.com CDN. Uh, Yeah, jQuery actually has another CDN as well. That's the jQuery CDN. Interesting. 
Why, uh, why, why should we use that over the Google one? In your it's opinion? It's dated more. <laughs> the Is Google it? one and the Microsoft one are very lagged. So, you know, so... <clears throat> Yeah, so code.jQuery.com is their punch, their CDN, and they actually up, which is hosted by Media Temple, and they actually update that frequently. So like just a couple of days ago, they released a new version of jQuery UE, and the Google and Microsoft CDNs did not have it at all. And it's like, okay, it's been out for like a couple of weeks now. Why aren't you updated? And on their release notes, says we know the other CDNs are not up to date. Don't use them. Use ours instead if you have to have them up to date. <laughs> So let me ask you: When you're using like the jQuery UI, are you are you updating the moment that they come out? I don't. I, I well, it's like I'm building an application that's tested on this version. I'm not going to jump, especially from layer release. Yeah. I mean, after I do release, I'll test the newer versions to make sure the thing works first. Yeah. To make sure there's no regressions, but and I always read the release notes, see well, what do they fix? Is mm-hmm. it worth me spending the time to go through and retest, update it for something I don't have a problem with? Yeah. You know, it's, it's people should always sit there and, and you know really inspect the release notes to figure out do we really need to update or not. So, but if you do want to be bleeding edge uh, almost immediately, then use the jQuery CDN. CDN. Yes. So the commercial version of Widgmo includes forty plus widgets and costs two ninety nine, and it's four ninety nine with support. Is that per developer or is that? Just Let me go. It look. is per developer. Are they doing per developer? Dang it! This per developer thing. They do. And well, I guess it's either going to be per developer or per site. So, I guess it, it all depends on if you do lots of sites or lots of developers. I would do honestly. I would do per company, but I guess they don't. They think that a large company with twenty guys should pay twenty times and. Maybe that's a fair way to do it. I don't know. But per company seems a little more realistic. So now let's move on to this EXTJS. Cover that pretty quickly and then get into mobile because I think that's probably the more interesting aspect. EXTJS, that one's been around for a long time. That's a very old widget library. It's huge. It's older than the other ones. So I've actually seen and used it before, but I'm like, never actually... You know, actually end up using it's like eh, it's commercial. I don't want to mess with it. <laughs> and yep. The, the cost <coughs> three twenty. <coughs> Come on. Sorry. <laughs> I told you I was going to be the one that was going to be coughing. I'm getting over a cold here, and I'm just like dried out talking. <laughs> so three twenty nine for a developer license with no support for EXTJS. And yep. your apps can look just like they're running on Microsoft Windows. Exactly. It's a very formal looking widget oh, set. It's, it's fucking very... nasty. Yes. People, don't waste your time. Don't listen to what anybody says. This is garbage. And if you're working on a project that uses it, hey, maybe it's not too bad to work with, but don't. Good God, this is a dinosaur. Did you see they have a desktop, like a web OS dev? I'm on it right now, and it's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. Why yes. we? Oh, hey, look! We've got application windows and accordion windows. Super! Well, I can show and hide divs. Congratulations! No, well, this is awful. You know, if you're rebuilding Windows for the web, this would be really useful. No, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing that, you should burn in hell anyway. Their feed yeah. viewer is not too bad. I mean, if you're building, if you're building an RSS reader circa 2001, this would be really useful. 
It's yeah, their market audience. Is... Their market audience is enterprise level people who think that a web. App those are those people like... are retiring, right? Those <laughs> yeah, people are they're, they're going to so building them. I know, I, but my oh. brother's one of them. It's like you're building these applications that run in one single tab, and you can't open up another tab to the application because it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's uh, like come on, people, restful, crying no, out loud. The the here's here's my fucking call to all of you developers out there who are working for these companies who continually want to hold on to the past. Say no. <laughs> say fucking no. Say no. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. It is against my God-given right to do that. And if I do that, I have to quit. But I've got <laughs> another solution for you. And that solution is blah, 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 blah. Insert solution here, right? Yes. We've got to stop that. We've got to fucking man up and start putting our foot down and say, guys, it is time to change. It's either you're going to change or you're going to die. And I won't have a job. And that's where I'm getting one of my clients. They're, they, they're currently using a old product, and actually not old. It's a current, you know, up to date, you know, .NET framework, you know, CRM system. But it's all designed around application style. So it's yep. one window, and so they can't view two pieces of data at the same time because they can't open something in a new tab or a new window. <laughs> and it's like that's ridiculous. Everything comes through one single URL, and that's it. And it's just form posts, nonstop. I think part of that is that you get these guys that came up being client – they grew up being client-side programmers. Yes. And they're doing web work, and they still think in the conventional client UE components. Yes, J2EE in a nutshell still. <laughs> yep. And then they, they gravitate towards these types of libraries. And for them, they're really happy using a library like this. I mean they think that this is good. This is how they think about it. They grew up with those MS components in the 90s. They need to become managers. <laughs> Quit coding. If you're making this shit, you're only hurting humanity. <laughs> it's actually the problem is they became managers and dictated the programmers <laughs> that you have to do it this okay, way. And the but that's okay because to. the programmers are the ones I'm talking to. Those are the ones that need to nut up, right? Yes. Those ones that need to quit being bitches every time the boss says, well, no, I want it, damn it. They're like, okay, fine, right? Those are the people that we've got to get to stand up and say enough is enough. Quit. You're killing the internet. You are single-handedly strangleholding the fucking internet. Stop it. Love it. I like it. One of these times, Brandon, you need to tell us what you really think. <laughs> let's let's jump into mobile. I think we've we've talked about the desktop pretty good here. Yes, we've talked it to death. Yes, so, and now we'll now we'll turn the uh, mobile into glue. So, <laughs> so do we do we want to switch the order up here? Or do we want to start with jQuery in the mobile space? Let's just keep it going the way we got in the list. Let's do it. So jQuery mobile. Another jQuery subproject, but it's this one. I like it as well. Like I, I like jQuery U, and I like what they're doing with jQuery Mobile. And it's and at free. least they're focusing on size somewhat with this one. Seventy KB, and it's it's actually getting some nice momentum. And they only hit one zero like maybe two months ago, and they're already hitting one one. Uh, my actual older brother, he's actually using jQuery Mobile on a J2EE application too. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I was like, he's wedged in there because he needs something to do mobile stuff. So he's building using that. And, and it's he was showing me he wanted me to test it on an iPad for him because he doesn't have an iPad. He has everything else but not an iPad. And, you know, to see where he was going and 
getting all that lovely input, you input device, and how should I do this? But I'm like, uh. so, but yes, I, it's, it looks pretty nice. It's not doing the thing like Kendo Yui is doing where their mobile stuff is like, okay, you use it and you get one interface for your iPhone, one interface for your Android, and one interface for your, you know, BlackBerry, and they customize it to look native. This one just creates one unified interface. Which I liked the, how Kendo Mobile is doing that, though. I liked how it's you use the widgets and it, it Android app looks like at you know Android and iPhone looks like iPhone. It depends on what your your goal is. Is your goal to make it look like it was a native app and you were just too lazy to make a native app, or are you uh. trying to make a mobile optimized web app that's part of your Apple website? Right, and this <laughs> is much more of like this is a mobile website. Nobody is going to confuse jQuery mobile apps, or they shouldn't confuse them with native apps. You're not going to forget that you're using yeah. a web app. Yes, and my thing with, with making it, you know, specific UEs for each platform is like, well, then I lose my unique feel for my site that I want to be able to present the same style of interface for everybody wherever they are. So there's two ways of looking at that. And maybe if you're doing native, if you want the native look and feel, then maybe go all in native and compile down to native apps. Would you agree with that, or buy Kendall Yui if you want to want that, <laughs> or make themes right. in jQuery Yui? So, right. see, I, I would argue that I'd say if you if you want to go all in, then go all in, right? Go just to say fuck it, I'm going to make, but and use like a phone gap or using a you know a, again a, yeah. accelerator. Those are the times where if you want to be in the market, because really the key with with having a native app is that you're in the marketplace. Right, that's the difference. Is that my web app doesn't have? If my web app that I just created doesn't have a marketplace, then it's no good. But if I can instantly get into a marketplace the size of Apple or Android or Amazon, then I have exposure to a whole different audience. I think that's um, huge too. Yeah, so that that's my argument for it. If you because from all the things, the way I look at it is that the 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 mobile web version is is kind of the lazy way of doing it, right? That I can take any website and I can make it a mobile version in probably twenty four hours, right? And it's just because you know it's it's fairly easy to do, and and building a native app is a little bit harder to do. Um, so that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, and me with with looking at these mobile libraries like jQuery Mobile and such is. I'm not trying to get something into the app store or in the markets. I'm trying to – I have a nice already existing corporate website the application that I'm building, and the client wants to access it on the mobile device. Yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah. There's already a captive audience, so I don't need the marketing for it. I just need it to work nicely on their mobile devices. Yes, totally, totally. So it's an entirely different audience in a market that I'm trying to work there. And that's where I'm looking at things like jQuery Mobile for that purpose. I, that's where I so I I'm, I'm going to throw in Zurb and Twitter uh, Bootstrap now that it's got the responsiveness. <laughs> Very true. If you want to it, go it, really honestly, I can I can take a Zurb because because with Zurb you're not really getting too much of the UI. You know that's where I think a lot of these guys sit is that when I go to a jQuery mobile site, even if it's themed, I know it's a jQuery mobile site. Right, because they really do take a lot of liberty with defining what the interface is going to be. And the Twitter bootstrap, you know, they have buttons, but the buttons you should change instantly, you know, to make it match your brand or whatever you need to do. Because oh. and, and you can do that with the jQuery stuff. It's just most of the time, if it's just a developer, he's not going to know how to do that or not want yeah. to do that. Yeah. Versus if you have someone who has the artist eye, then you yeah. can say, hey, theme this to make it look new and nice. And you know, the one yeah. application I did with a jQuery UI. 
I mean, it doesn't look like a jQuery UE site because we did that. We tweaked the theme enough so that it looked different. Yeah, but I, and I, but I would argue that tweaking a theme um, is is easier in Zurb and Bootstrap than it is with uh, jQuery UI. Mm. Just, be, just, beca- Zurb, just yeah. because of their, their syntax, so. right? Their syntax is so – it's so HTML5 ready where a lot of the things that, that uh, jQuery UI is trying to solve, you know, rounded corners and, and all of that various stuff still falls back before we had, you know, border radius. Um, so they do have a lot of elements. And when you're going through trying to skin it, it's like, oh, my God, wait, they skin that and this and that and this and this is this. I mean, it gets, it's really deep um, that I can go and I can create a new button for, you know, Zurb or Bootstrap and be able to, you know, and, and be able to have a completely unique thing in, in less than in one selector versus you know 15 selectors with jQuery UI and custom syntax whereas you're just using CSS3 for yours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is we talked a little bit at the beginning of the podcast about progressive libraries versus more of the native focused libraries and this falls under progressive yeah, they, they actually list, you know, grade A, B, and C browsers, and the C is the ones that have no JavaScript support. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, why do you still have that phone? <laughs> I mean, why are you browsing the web if you do have it? Yeah, I know. Exactly. It's like, come on, your screen's so small, you can see the letter A, and that's it. I mean, <laughs> and, and they have a theme builder as well, which is kind of really nice. And I just noticed that earlier today that they have a another companion corporate site that they're pushing this application through where you can build, you know, mock-ups really fast, but just, you know, drag and drop web interface to build your jQuery mobile application. And that is Kodaka? Yeah. (laughs) These are horrible names. Don't even try to to figure out what that is because that's that's (laughs) That's a free domain is what that was. I know. It's not something you could spell by hearing it. No. It'll be in the show notes. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. But But it's really really nice. It's a slick app. So rapid prototyping with jQuery mobile, and it actually gives you a grid – uh, a grid to lay out your UE components on for when to, you're designing that mobile UE. And you can even do mock-up linking and have it you know, interact so you can navigate between pages and everything Ooh, else. So you could actually mock stuff up and send it to a client and have them walk through it. Yeah. I mean, this would be good just mocking up anything for True. the iPhone app, even if you're not using jQuery mobile. Yes. And it's free, right? Or no? I don't know. I didn't look that far. Okay. They have a <laughs> I- solo... That the is, demo site, you can download the HTML of what it builds. They have so three they plans. They have the builder-only plan, always free, HTML export, no online saving or sharing, solo, $10 per month, five projects, and team is 30 bucks per month and unlimited for everything. So I guess so. if you want to send links through their site to the yeah. demo. Yeah, so there goes pay. the – this is not quite the free alternative to things like balsamic mock-ups. Well, balsamic isn't exactly free either, but well, that's that's what I'm saying. Free alternative to the pay for. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the free version, you download it, host it on your own site. You know, that's, that's true. That looks really nice. They've done a good job with that. Yes, and you had a. I think this was your note, Ed, about large device support. Meaning large, meaning quantity. Their, their oh, list of, gotcha. of supported devices is quite sizable. Gotcha. Because they have the you know the A, B, and C grade listed in there, and, and that's they, been this is what will work, and this is what won't work. 
that's been one of their key goals while working on jQuery Mobile, right? Yes, and they started out and they actually referenced the original, this is what we want to support and how we want to support them, and then, you know, they fresh up, this is what we actually got, <clears throat> so. Let's talk about Kendo Mobile. I think we've already gotten into it quite a bit. There's no pricing yet for Kendo Mobile. This is a separate library. This is not included with the Kendo UE as far as I know. It is in beta, and it is phone gap ready. Is what <laughs> Which they that say. doesn't really mean anything. I don't know. Everything's phone gap it's ready. It's phone gap ready. It's ready it to runs go. It's Safari. It's phone gap ready. <laughs> <laughs> you know they they did an okay job matching the UI of. I mean, kind of. It's like everything just feels a little off. It kind of feels like I bought a phone from China that's like <laughs> I, I, you know, iPhone, and <laughs> and I'm using it. You know, everything is is almost there. Yep. But there's something that's not right. Like when your husband's cheating on you, you know, something's just not right. <laughs> and and I think that does hurt the overall uh, experience that people have with your products. That if you're going to go this way, you might as well go custom. Well, you can see the power of it. Of it adopting the native look and feel of the OS it's running on where you in this demo you can just switch between iOS Android for the same screen and Blackberry if you really want to support Blackberry and it just shows (laughs) and it shows oh that's kind of cool how much it changes and it's a significant change like in the in the Android one the tabs are at the top iOS tabs are at the bottom (laughs) that's amazing it is pretty awesome I mean again it's a fucking style sheet change (laughs) I mean this is you don't have to do uh, but you expect you know these enterprise developers to know that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) lord so there Uh, is that Uh, I think is there anything else we can say about that I know we've kind of beat that horse for a while now yeah I mean they have yeah I don't know. They don't. There we go. Well, all right. Here are the widgets they have. They have button, button group, list view. They have a nav bar, a scroll view, a switch, and a tab strip. Yeah, they have very, very basic elements in there. But it's in beta, and they have a roadmap as well, right? Have they published their roadmap? Let's see what the roadmap here says. They have a bunch of they have a view layout coming in March. They have a the button group is already out. Let's see here. Dialogues are coming. A scroller. Scroller component will get some important tweaks and improvements, facilitating its intuitive usage. I like it. Yeah. So a couple of things, but it doesn't look like it looks like it's it, gonna it, be fairly basic for quite a while. Yeah, it looks like a start versus where, you know, jQuery Mobile is already a lot further down the road in terms of its widget capabilities so well how about sensor touch talking about a robust library sensor touch it has been around for a while it's got a good amount of widgets now it's done by the xtjs guys yep and they do good work i mean sensor touch it's free to use right now you don't have to pay for this it doesn't look like xtjs (laughs) (laughs) exactly it looks like a very modern a modern library, something I, I'm intrigued. I would use something like this. It's got the the re- release candidate for 2.0 is out now. So they'll be going 2.0 very shortly. So 
what else do we have to say about <laughs> such a touch? I've got some you know, notes here's, to get to here's, good. here's my problem with it. In in my world, uh, when I was when I used Sencha was and and same with jQuery UI, honestly, was that I had no control over the HTML. I could only I could only insert a JavaScript and a CSS file. That's and true. and so I to do Ajax calls and to get the data to come back looking right, like in the grids, it was an amazing pain in the ass. An amazing actually, pain in the ass. That's yeah. actually been my brother's complaint somewhat about the the jQuery mobile. Okay, so they haven't they, they have haven't a certain fixed it. concept of how you do it. Yes, and you have to do it that way. Yeah, and so he actually ended up replacing some of the navigation stuff to do it his way because yep. their way wasn't working for him. I, dude, so I ended up and and he might be running into the same exact problem that I had. Mine's an old .NET system, um, and it, the way that it was built, you know, again <laughs> we had we had almost no control over where any HTML was. We used JavaScript to move everything around and to restructure and to restyle everything. Um, that I ended up saying fuck it and just wrote my own because all I really needed was tab. <laughs> the 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 um, the list view and a product page and that was about it. Everything else I was able to rewrite on my own just using CSS. And it took me in a quarter of the time than it did when I was trying to implement the whole you know e-commerce site using you know both Sencha and and uh, jQuery UI mobile. Um, so that was my biggest my biggest geek beef is that it just didn't handle Ajax stuff very well. You bring up a good point there too, where Sencha Touch is much more programmatic to work with. Yeah. You you aren't just putting JS calls on the DOM. You are dealing with a lot of just JavaScript and you're basically just working in JavaScript. Yeah. And jQuery mobile, you are you are dealing more on the mobile I mean on the website of things. So if you are a if you're more of a CSS HTML and dangerous enough in javascript then jquery mobile is probably more your speed sencha is going to be for those javascript gurus yep. yeah yep. And it's also a gpl license so you can only use it with open source projects for free otherwise you gotta pay to the nose oh mm-hmm. really? yep. yeah what well is... actually no, they say commercial software license is now free yeah that's that's what i thought so it is perfectly free right now to use no yes. just not a no we so you can't which, if you are, yeah, the OEM thing. I looked into that. If that, if you're building a app builder type of application, right. then you do need to pay for this. But if you are yeah. simply using this in commercial software as a end product, it is free and is now free. So I'm assuming it's going to stay free. <laughs> We'd hope. <laughs> we, yeah, we hope. I mean, all that would limit you from is using future versions. The current version is under that license, so. Uh, other things here is that you have support for tables. Is that something you put in here, Ed? Support, support. for tables while JQ Touch now doesn't. That's something you put in there. Doesn't have support. <laughs> did I put that in there? Let's see. I here. did not put that in there. <laughs> it's falling apart, gentlemen. It's falling apart. Oh, no. <laughs> JQ Touch is also made by Sencha, and JQ Touch is much more for web developers that don't just want to do javascript that want much more of a standard web development experience while they're working with their library so i think jq touch would probably be something you'd you'd rather look into brandon that's what i would more recommend after looking at this i just, nope, I just make my own okay make my own is that easy own? isn't there <laughs> something about having a monopoly on two different mobile platforms <laughs> It just seems odd they have two completely different mobile platforms. 
It does, and he actually, the creator explains that a little bit. He goes into it in a blog post uh, explaining the difference between them and why he has two different ones. And it really did boil down to one is the much more programmatic way of doing a truly, if your goal is to create as close to possible as that native iOS or Android type experience, you're going to have your best chance of doing that with Sensha Touch. If you want a more progressive web development style library to work with, JQ Touch is going to be what you're going to want to go after. Oh. So that he's trying to fulfill two he's trying to appease two audiences with two different libraries. Yeah, it's not very responsive either. Well, the Sensha Touch isn't very responsive. I've I've found a couple of notes here saying that Sensha Touch was it is the closest you can get to making that something that just looks purely native and he's they've gone through a lot of work even to get that what is that type of scrolling called in iOS where you can scroll beyond and you you pull down like that Boun- bouncy scroll? Yes, they have that in Sensha Touch. You can create something in Sensha Touch that the user will, if you if you use all the power in Sensha Touch, they should not even be able to tell the difference between using a native app or the web app. I that's, don't know if I agree with goal. that, <laughs> but that is that is their goal. With yeah, their goal. Doing. If you're going to go through that much work, if you're going to go through that much work, go with Appcelerator and just submit the damn thing to the Apple Store. Yeah, I'm like even some of the ones that use those things, like they just they don't quite feel like a native app, even though they look like one, like the the Redbox mobile app. You can tell that that is not a native app because. The switch doesn't quite work like the switch everywhere else in the OS. Even though it almost looks like it, it doesn't work the same. And it's not as responsive. Right. And I'm testing one of the Sensha apps, and it's very laggy in the drag and drop. <clears throat> very slow in responsiveness. For which one? Uh, the Sensha Touch Touch Solitaire. Because I've seen <laughs> – I actually went to a conference where the, this creator was – uh, and his name is David Kaneda or Kaneda, and he he demoed a bunch of this Sensha Touch stuff, including the bouncy scroll. And he was talking about all of the pains they've gone through to make it perform as close as possible to the native iOS. And he said they've I'm got like, it, they've got it very very close. Just build a native app, then. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'll be happier. <laughs> They have touch charts in Sensha Touch, so there's some charting in there. But it looks like if you want to make it look like a native Android or a native iOS, they've done a lot to mimic the iOS stuff, but you would have to do some fairly... You'd have to do a lot of manual styling to get the native Android look, it looks like. Uh, I'll I'll restrain from commenting on that. (laughs) (laughs) So JQ Touch... JQ Touch is their other one. It works with Zepto, which is a minimal library using jQuery syntax that's compatible. So compatible jQuery syntax. You can just drop Zepto in where for those libraries that were relying on jQuery, as long as they weren't using tons of the special sauce in jQuery that should work. So it works with Zepto or jQuery. SAS-based theming. It's in beta. So I know, Brandon, you love the SAS-based theming. <laughs> <laughs> It's in beta, it's progressive, it's free, and it weighs in at 20 kilobits. So fairly small, very small, actually. 
other other libraries to consider. Did you guys have any comments on that, or, or are we done with JQ Touch? I think we're done. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> so other libraries to consider. These are the honorable mentions section of the podcast. They didn't quite make the cut, but maybe they work for you, and you should know about them. Joe, which is Joe App, J-O, is a, I don't know if I want to say up and coming, but certainly it's out there. It doesn't look as, it's definitely not as popular. It doesn't look as robust of a UE widget as the other ones we've reviewed tonight, which is why it's an honorable mention. But it's all JavaScript. It's <laughs> you don't do Java. any HTML. You just write JavaScript. Right. So a lot more like the Sensha Touch type of thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's there. You can check it out, and maybe it'll work well for you. I couldn't find any true, real reason to use that. But GWT Mobile is, of course, from Google. It's their web toolkit. If you're a Java developer wanting to do mobile apps for the web, then this is probably perfect for you. Uh, for everybody else, you might want to skip this one. <laughs> I was surprised. So you were laughing about the PhoneGap Ready comment. They have a PhoneGap wrapper or some PhoneGap phone gra- phone integration <laughs> for GWT Mobile, whatever that is. It's there. So this should be easy to put into PhoneGap. Uh, PhoneGap plus JS. JS is a very minimal... Uh, JavaScript library. It's not a widget library as much as it is just a very minimal JavaScript library for PhoneGap. That the PhoneGap guys, it looks like they made it. So uh, that's something that you could check out to use along with PhoneGap if you're purely just compiling down to a native app is your goal. And then you wanted to put Zurb and Twitter Bootstrap on here, right? Because of their responsiveness, I, Brandon. Yeah, I think they're uh, I think they're good solutions. Um, and and while still maintaining kind of if if the brand is your key, then you build your main website using Zurb and you make it look like your whatever you want it to look like. And then as you shrink it down, that shit does move pretty amazing and fits pretty well. I mean, there's only a few times that I have to go through and do adjustments, but all in all, I do and I build out my sites and I know they're going to look good uh, on on mobile devices. Cool. Kendo Yui, by the way has a fixed release cycle, three releases per year. So I think uh, that should help with the momentum and getting new features out for them. They also have a website set up, jQuery UE versus Kendo UE, and they have a, <laughs> a comparison table there. That, that's pretty good. It's interesting. Nice biased table. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I like how they say that jQuery... Uh, UE doesn't support some things, but then they put in parentheses, well, there's a plugin that gives you this. Well, then it does support it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, here are a couple of quotes I found some, while doing the research. Aaron Weyenberg on Quora said, Sencha Touch takes much, much longer to learn and become comfortable with, but it's more robust. Sencha Touch documentation and examples, however, are quite unrefined in my opinion. There's almost no MVC architecture support docs, so be prepared to do a lot of reverse engineering. jQuery Mobile can get you up and running in a day, but it's not as feature-rich and seems not quite as smooth in terms of transition and effects. Uh, James Pierce, developer relations at Sencha, said, Of course, it very much depends on the use case, your skill set, and your desired architecture. If you want an easy, declarative, markup-configured mobile site, then use jQuery Mobile's progressive enhancements is an obvious option if you want a richer more standalone say mvc app built using a programmatic ria 
or RIA philosophy, then the Sentient Touch route would probably be better. It's more likely that you take this approach if you were keen to wrap the app up in PhoneGap to deploy in an app store, for example. Does that sound about right to you guys? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Did we lose you there? Out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's, uh, the, here's the last one, Brandon. One more. All right. JQ, this is on JQ Touch. Sentient Touch is a little more complicated for those used to web design to use in that it is almost a purely programmatic model. You don't design pages in HTML like you were saying. You programmatically add elements to a page. It does, however, have a much richer widget model and is a lot more fleshed out than JQ Touch. And it's also a lot bigger in size. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's basically with those you're you're building a application. So you're creating your classes and objects and then you just shove it there and let something else make the HTML. HTML is just how to be the output format as opposed to, you know, a desktop application. And that's their thinking is like, well, you don't need to worry about the HTML. Just build your classes and write. <laughs> right. It's like, but then what happens if it doesn't do what I want? Now I can't tweak it. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. <coughs> so we usually, <coughs> sorry, we usually <coughs> like to finish. <coughs> oh man, with Jared attack. choking. That's yes. what we like to. Would finish you like with. some of my Brita water? <laughs> I, I need some of it. I've only got beer over here. So we like to usually finish with recommendations, but I think it's these things really each fit a certain set of requirements. It's hard to recommend one. Oh, over another is there one you would say of the top contenders we mentioned just do not really look at or do you want to mention a use case and recommend one I mean, we can have very strong opinions on what you shouldn't use <laughs> <laughs> what is your strong opinion on what you shouldn't use uh, my, I, always with any of these things, my always opinion is like, well, it depends on what the use case is. What exactly do you need? What are you actually going to do with it? And, and base it on that. Well, and that's what it, I'm saying. So the, yeah. there are very valid use cases why you would use and choose each one of the libraries we discussed, right? Well, for some people. For me, there are certain ones I would just never touch. <laughs> like is, I would never one touch you? the send to touch thing <laughs> and, and, and things like that because I'm like – if I'm going to build a mobile app, I'm going to build a mobile app. It's easier for me to just build it in a native thing where I know what it's going to do and know it's going to work the way it's going to work. And, you know, I have alternatives to make it cross-platform. So I was like, eh, I'll just build my iPhone app and be done with it. Right. And I know people that can turn that into an Android app for me, so I don't have to do it. So. True. What about on the desktops, <laughs> desktop side? I, I, me personally, I, I like the jQuery UE stuff. I like the momentum to it, and the fact that I can push updates to them and, and submit patches to them and have. So, it, it's getting there. And also, though the widget framework I use quite often to build my own widgets, and have built widgets that you know don't look jQuery UE. They're just I'm using that framework because it gives me nice infrastructure to expand on and build my you know my concepts that I'm trying to build in the application to make it easier for me. Right. Which of these libraries would you say you'd want to use again or for the first time, Brandon? <laughs> Any of it's, them? Or are you going to say, oh, I build my own? I'm no, um, uh, I'm sticking with uh, with Zurb and Twitter Bootstrap, man. I'm done. Okay, so, I'm done with all of them. So you'll and, go- uh, and, and Titanium. If I, if I need to build another mobile app, um, I will go with AppCelerator. Very good. All right. I would... I, I look forward to using jQuery UE a lot more as they add things 
to it because I think the list of widgets is pretty paltry at the moment, but they are adding things quickly. So I'm looking forward to using jQuery UE. And I, I like staying in that jQuery family. So if I were to do a mobile website not to be compiled down, I would definitely look at jQuery mobile, and I love the price tag. Yep. So jQuery for me. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for being on the podcast, Ed. It was a lot of fun. Yep, thanks. Next episode, Brandon is going to review the brand new Photoshop Touch app for the iPad 2. <laughs> and wow. we'll be talking about design topics, something that we haven't touched on in a couple of episodes now, but we will be talking purely design in the next episode. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.